Here we go. Uh, that's a great launch, Diane, uh, to what I want to talk about. I mean, not that we aren't always in a season of trust, of needing to trust, but we're definitely entering one, and I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about an, uh, an old biblical character. His name is Gideon. He's the guy that goes around putting those Bibles in hotel rooms all the time, right? Been doing that for a long time, old Gideon. Uh, he, uh, he was one of the judges of Israel. When Israel crossed, when the, when the encampment of people went through the, to the promised land after 40 years in the desert and they crossed the Jordan and they came into this land and they made it theirs. They took it and battled for it and made it their lands. When the nation was settled there, their first form of government was a, a form of judges. They had judges. They were like religious leaders and also military leaders, and and uh, and they were chosen to to protect and care for. That evolved. That was the original system until the Israelites, at one point, uh, called for a king. They wanted to be like the other nations around them that didn't have judges but had kings. And God wasn't really happy with that in the story. But he's like, okay, and the first king they get, they choose this guy named Saul, and he really sucked. And, uh, and then they let God choose a king, and he chooses David, that little shepherd boy, and becomes the greatest king of Israel, and his son Solomon, even greater than him. But this is the period of Judges, early formation in the Israel story, right? And like I say, they're battling people all the time for their ground, for their, they're making their, their space. And in this particular uh, battle, they're facing the Midianites, and they're formidable. They're a much more populated and, and uh, better armed uh, military force. And in the story, God tells Gideon to go, to go take them out. And Gideon is scared, understandably, because they're way outnumbered. He has 300 soldiers. They have like 30,000, and they're in this valley. And it says, now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. And during that night, the Lord came to Gideon and said, get up and go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. Now, if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying in the camp. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So it says... He and Pura, his servant, went down. So I think that's already kind of funny. They're like, if you're scared, <laughs> you know, like, do what I say. But if, you want, if you're scared, then go do this. He's like, well, yeah, I'm scared, so I'm going to go do that. So he goes down with Pura and sneaks up on the camp and uh, to one of the outposts. So he and Pura and his servant went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. They're building a coalition against this, uh, this, new, this new people that are coming in. And it says they're in the valley thick as locusts. I mean, there's just tens of thousands of them in this valley. Their camels could not be counted. More than the sand, grains of sand on the seashore. So they're really emphasizing poetically what an, a huge number of soldiers are down there. And I said, Gideon arrived just as the man was telling a friend about his dream. He said, I had a dream. 
and in it a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into our Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tents overturned and collapsed. Now his friend gets involved, and his friend decides to interpret the dream. And he's kind of a woe is me dude. He says, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So he hears this dream, and this dream interpreted by a couple of Midianite soldiers. And the one guy interprets the dream to mean, holy cow, I think that's a bad omen. Gideon's coming, and he's going to kick her butt. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he began to worship God like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianites camp into our hands. I really wonder what the guys were thinking because I think, you know, they were, all right, talk about trust. So he divided the 300 men into three companies of 100 each. He placed trumpets and earthen jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Hmm. So if, just think of a large earthen jar holding a giant candle inside, right? So it's a candle. And then he said, uh, watch me and follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So they're going to encircle on the top of the mountain range of the valley with 300 men, with torches, earthen jars, and trumpets. It says, Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. That means literally in the middle of the night. It's 3 a.m. And then it says, they blew their trumpets. They broke the jars that were in our hands. So you, you have these large earthen pots, 300 of them, shattering and echoing and fragments falling down the walls of the canyon. You have 300 horns blowing, just causing sound waves to bounce off of each other. And now you have 300 torches that come up while blowing the horn surrounding the encampment in the middle of the night. It says, grasping their torches in their left hand and holding in the right hand the trumpets, they were to blow, and they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites came crying out of their tents and fled. 
When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp in the pitch darkness to turn on each other with their swords. It's utter chaos, fear, panic, dark, and they start swinging swords at each other. So literally, this massive army fights themselves, and they destroy themselves, and they flee, and they're victorious over the Midianites. Wow. Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them. The land is yours. You won this bad battle. Okay, so a couple of things about this. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But there's a lot of truth in it. And some of the observations are, uh, are, are pretty, pretty awesome. Most of the time when people teach this, they, they do talk about the trust angle on that. And Gideon's trust and faith and those kind of things. And having faith. And faith means you can overcome these big obstacles. I'm looking more pragmatically in this teaching at the, uh, the methodology, the, the genius of what, what actually took place, because it's an old story, uh, it's an old trick, it's as old as they come, militarily. It's the elements of surprise and fear and panic and chaos that you inflict upon people. It's, it's fear and panic. That, allow, that doesn't allow people to make good decisions and make decisions based upon the fear and the panic. It's a brilliant story in the way they did it, right? They are grossly outnumbered. They're not going to go 300 down there and take out the 30,000. But they used all these really natural, normal things, sound and noise and trumpets and smashing jars and torch lights encircled 360 degrees and the, and, the, and the very geography of the canyon with the echoes going back and forth to terrorize these people out of a stupor in the middle of the night. And in that darkness, they begin to slaughter each other. Fear and panic does that. And there are many things and many times in our lives where we're going to be fearful we're, we're going to experience panic. And more so, you know, when, when you're associated with a group, okay, and, and that group come, comes under attack. It can be a very panicky time. We're entering a season, and I want to address it. And uh, we're entering a season of there's going to be some fear and panic coming. And it has to do with this coronavirus, right? Folks, it's, it's not going away. Okay, we're just at the tip of the iceberg. There already is a ton of fear and panic. Uh, some of it is justified. A lot of it isn't. Now, I'm just speaking to you with the voice of medical professionals and also as someone in a position in the community where we meet and we gather, okay? And we as a staff are going to be, you know, looking and seeing and evaluating how this thing goes and what we continue to do. So, you know, we, we have to evaluate as things happen. And, 
and look at how we are going to respond. One of the amazing things about this book, the Bible, and about the Israelites is it has some weird coincidences, if you want to call it that. One of the things, the Israelites, because they were a nation and, and they, they camped 40 years, you know, quote-unquote, in the desert together, they were very, very concerned about infectious diseases. They didn't know what an infectious disease was. They just observed how some things spread. You get a weird rash all over you with bumps. You got the chicken pox or the measles. They noticed, you know, when he sat with him and then he got it and then he sat and then they got it. So what they did, they got in, in, in Leviticus, there's like three solid chapters, 13, 14, 15, that cover like all these diseases and how they're supposed to respond. And I'm just going to take the first one from chapter 13 and read it to you. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or bright spot on the skin that may become an infectious skin disease. Now, they didn't know what the word infectious is, but it's an English word that we're using, contagious infectious disease. In other words, it spreads. He must be brought to the high priest or one of his sons. The priest is to examine the sore. If, uh, if the hair in its sore has turned white, the sore appears to be more than skin deep, but it's an infectious disease. When the priest examines him, he shall pronounce him ceremonially unclean. If the spot on the skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest is to put the infected person in isolation for seven days. And that's what it, next three chapters. Isolate, 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 isolate. Somebody's sick, isolate them. This, folks, is revolutionary because it was based upon religious fears. And, and, and yet, scientifically, ended up being accurate. This is not something that you read in a lot of other ancient uh, manuscripts, documents, or beliefs historically. You know, uh, you, you hear all kinds of things like, oh, you know, what's causing this plague? Well, it's, you know, the witch. She's doing it. Let's burn her. That kind of stuff. This is like somehow somebody got the notice, like, this seems to go from person to person. We better isolate the person. So the first little bit of advice, if you're feeling sick, stay home. Don't go out. You're not going to go to work and get well, as the president said. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not true. You're going to go to work and spread it. Stay home. Don't be heroic. Don't be, you know, the old American work ethic. If you got one of those great American work ethics, oh, I work when I'm sick. This time, don't do it. Just stay home. Isolate. See what happens. Get well. Avoid crowds, which is really stupid to say in church because we're all here, right? But this is one of the things that we have to continue to evaluate, and we will evaluate depending on where this thing goes. And it could go in a direction that before we get out of it, uh, that there's going to be a lot of isolation. And that's really hard, and that's really scary, especially when you're in a fear and panic situation. What do you want the most? Company, support, encouragement. Well, let's figure out ways that we can continue to do that 
even if some of us have to isolate. Some of us will have to isolate more. I'm in a super high-risk category, and I have been, uh, because I have an autoimmune disease. That means my immune system is attacking my own body, and I have to use a very powerful drug to stop that that suppresses my immune system and pushes it way down. That allows me to have the life and to be here and to be able to sit with you and do life, uh, but it also means my immune system is highly compromised and I'm at severe risk from any flu, but especially this one, because this one seems to have a higher kill rate. And the kill rate on any flu is very small. And the most vulnerable people tend to be elderly, people with comp compromised immune systems, asthma, very young children. In the case of this coronavirus, we have a bright spot. They're starting to observe now that children are actually faring fairly well through this flu. Elderly, not so much. They get beat up because it goes right into the lungs and pneumonia when you're elderly or you have a compromised immune system, really bad. Um, and it seems to be killing more people right now than the conventional flu. Seems to be. We don't know for sure. Because all we know is what we can observe death rate with people that we know are infected. We don't know about the people that are infected and just pass through it. That, that, so it, it kind of throws the scales out. We don't really know how many people in China were infected with it and had a runny nose or whatever and then became fine and, never, and didn't even, wasn't even enough to, to be contagious to somebody else. But they would have still tested positive. And that's because we don't have enough test kits. No, the president is wrong. There is not plenty of kits for everybody. We are severely low on kits. At this point, we're severely low on masks for the most vulnerable uh, people in our community, which is first responders and nurses and the medical community. They are the highest risk as it is today. You know with the firemen, Matt, you're, you're a fireman your whole career. You know, they, they went in to do resuscitation on that nursing home up in Washington. They were the first responders, and then they went back to the station, and then it turned out she had coronavirus. Now they have to take 25 guys, shut down the whole station, and put them in, in, in uh, isolation to observe and test. Uh, that's going to happen. And in a home like that, it's going to eat it up. You know, they've lost 13 people to the virus in that, in that home so far because they're very vulnerable. They're elderly. It's an infirm and elder home care, uh, health care, home care is very high. So it's not indicative of what's going to happen in the general population. These are super high-risk people, and that's why uh, they're, they're dropping like dominoes, okay? Uh, but isolate yourself. And if that means we've got to call off Easter bashes here, we call off the Easter bash. We'll see. We'll play it by ear. I'm not trying to stoke any panic, but I'm not going to be stupid either. I have to take precautions. You have to take precautions. Many of us in this room have to take precautions, uh, especially if you're 60 and up, even if you're in good health. You've got to take precautions. It's going to hit a lot harder for the 60 and up category. That much we know. Here's another thing that I find so fascinating about the Bible. The Jews have this 
fastidious tradition of doing something that spawned from this passage in the book of Psalm. It says here, Psalm 26, 6. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord. Okay, so guess what that did? It started this ritual of hand washing. Hand washing is like if you're a Jew, you wash your hands all the time before you eat meals, before you go to synagogue, after you have uh, Shabbat, after, before Shabbat. You're just washing your hands. For some of you who have been to the Holy Land, Dennis, I know you'll remember, you know, we go to the Western Wall or we go to holy sites, Jewish holy sites. There's just big fountains running where you go and everybody washes their hands before they enter the site. Well, it turns out that washing your hands is a really good habit to have. That this is how you spread disease, is with your hands. It's said that we average touching our face 15 times an hour. It's not the touching our face that's the problem. It's what might be on our hand when we touch our face that we picked up off of something else. So another recommendation is start going OCD on hand washing. Really, just start doing through this thing as it continues to build steam and it goes. Wash your hands. You're going to find it impossible to not touch your face. I'm just going to tell you, you're going to fail. They all say that, and I actually try it. I'm like, that ain't freaking working. No, I'm just saying, you, you touch your face all the time. So it's really, you're setting yourself up for failure. You could try to touch it less, absolutely, but you're going to. You're not even going to be thinking about it. You're just going to be doing stuff that you regularly always do. And that's just normal stuff. Wash your hands all the time and be even more concerned about what other things you're touching than your face. Counters, handrails, whatever, shaking hands. Um, that's what we did, right? That's what we did. Boom. Give a fist pump. You, you, Richie, I love you, buddy. But I'm, I'm talking to myself because I'm the worst. I am a touchy person. I love to hug. I love to embrace. I, 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 it, I grew up with that. It was my, my whole upbringing was warmth and touch. And that's really, really hard for me already. I already don't like it. It's kind of depressing to me because I like seeing my friends and getting a hug from them or giving a hug. I don't like, you know, walking around with my hands in my pockets and not shaking hands. Or, it's, it's really, really hard. And it sounds, you know, maybe whiny, but it's a little psychological blow to me. It is. It's a little bit of a depressing thing that, you know, I can't have that going on, you know. So there's going to be some challenges, isolation, you know, less touch, being careful um, with what you touch. And, and, but these are very, very basic things and, and simple things, but all the experts are saying they're huge things that will really help. Now, here's another thing. We don't have a vaccine for this. And there's not going to be a vaccine for at least a year. Okay? 
I want to talk on that subject because I get my flu shots, vaccines, every year because I'm high risk. I got mad at my wife last night. We got in a fight because she didn't take them, right? It just makes me angry, right? I'm, like, I'm, I'm glaring at her right now. Can you see? She says, I'm so scary. Yeah. You need to take flu shots. Here's the thing. We have existing flus right now that kill thousands and thousands of people. And guess what? 50% of them never even got a vaccination. They just dominoed. Vaccinations work, folks. Vaccinations have saved more human lives on this planet than anything else conceivable. Millions. The tragedy, I mean, and millions every year, historically since the invention by scientists of the vaccine. What's tragic is millions of people die every year of preventable diseases because of no vaccination. The scourges of polio, the scourges of other just absolute plagues were defeated because of scientists. So, listen to the science community. Not the whack job on YouTube. Oh, this one thing went viral. It was, it was so classic. And everybody's sending this thing viral. It's this dude in the store. And he's got his phone. He's like, check this out. And he goes up to the rack and there's Lysol. He goes, look at this. He turns the bottle of Lysol and he starts to saying what it disinfects and what it kills. And it says on the label, coronavirus. And he goes, see, they've known about this for a long time. This, is just, this, is, this has been planted it's been spread. He starts this whole conspiracy theory of like how, yes, the coronavirus has always been around. It's been around forever. This is just a different mutation. There are coronaviruses that can be vaccinated. This one can't because it's a mutation and a different strain and it's dangerous until we get a vaccination. But here's what's gonna happen. You watch. We're gonna go through a, a panicky, messy time. And in a couple of years, guess what? There still will be a coronavirus. It still will be killing people because only half of Americans get a vaccination. And we're gonna have the vaccination. And just like the nominal flu that we have today that kills tons of people, there's a vaccine for it and people don't take it and they still die. Why? Because people are really stupid. Listen to scientists. Quarantine her, please, high priest. It's, it's this, this, there's this weird, like, and that's something else I noticed. How, what caused the panic in the camp? What was God's method? A rumor. Yeah, this really weird dream, man. I saw this, 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 and I saw this, this, and that. Dude, we're doomed. We're freaking doomed. I think it means that. And then you knew it spread like wildfire right throughout the, the, the entire valley. 
dude, did you hear about the dream? Dude, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what Caleb said? Oh my God, yeah. Ooh, ooh, this is, ooh yeah, this is, this is really bad. It, it's, it's rumors. And, and that's what so many of these conspiracy theorists do. And, and most of them, I mean, sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes a rumor has legs. Sometimes a conspiracy has legs. Sometimes it does. But most of the time, it's an idiot. And if you know anything, you know it's an idiot. That guy was trying to spread fear by just simply being stupid and having a platform to be stupid on, social media. I mean, how many, you know, he had so many hits. I can't even remember how many million of people saw his video and was going like, oh, it's a government plot. It's the Democrats. It's, you know, they're literally saying that. No, 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 no. It's, this is science. So, may I encourage you to get a vaccine. May I encourage you to believe the scientists. Vaccines do not cause autism. That's another one of those great ones. Causes autism. No. No. I don't say you have to get vaccinated for every little thing. I'm just saying there are some basic things you should do that have changed the world and made it safer. And when the coronavirus vaccine does come out in a year from now, go ahead and get it. Do yourself a favor. Listen to the scientists. Uh, what's his name? The uh, astrophysicist Neil Tyson Degrassi. Isn't that his name? Neil, right? Yeah, Neil. He was on and uh, can't remember what talk show, and he was asked, so like, you know, even though you're an astrophysicist, you're not an immunologist, but what's your take on the coronavirus? <coughs> oh, he goes, this is going to be an interesting experiment. I like means what? You know, like, what kind of experiment? Oh, a social experiment. To see who people believe. Will people believe scientists? Will people believe the medical professionals? Or are they going to believe people who don't know what they're talking about, spreading disinformation and false information out there and creating fear and panic unnecessarily? I thought that was amazing. That was not what I was expecting him to say. I was expecting him to say something you know, scientific about the disease or something. It's like, no, this was the real and interesting experiment is to see what humans are gonna do. You know, are they, are, they gonna, are they gonna listen to the people who know more than them? Or are they gonna be so willful and arrogant and prideful and ignorant that they're gonna do it this way and I believe that guy on YouTube? Don't do that. This is, this is not your, you know, a typical Sunday morning message, but I, I bring this because uh, we're about to enter into a season that's not gonna be typical either. Uh, and we're going to have to adjust to it. And I do have encouragement for you. Be encouraged. Trust. Do the simple things, and it'll pass by. Uh, are people going to die? Yes. Could I die? Yes. I could die from a lot of other things, too. Okay? People are going to die, yes, anyways. It, death happens. We have in this room right now a 100% mortality rate. <laughs> We're all going to die <laughs> sooner or later. I prefer later, so I'm going to take some precautions to make it later. 
But I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to live in fear. And I'm, I'm not going to follow disinformation. I'm going to listen to the professionals, keep my calm, keep, keep the rhythm of life going, and make it as normal as possible while making it as safe as possible. I'm encouraging you to do the same. And I want to be, as a person who people gather around and meet with regularly, I want to be uh, responsible, and I want to be educated, informed, and helpful as we see what happens in the weeks ahead and the months ahead. And I do promise you, it will pass. It will pass. We are going to be okay. All right? Peace and grace be with you and trust.